The Brood 10 podcasts made possible by support from Mount St. Joseph University School of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, cultivating an understanding and appreciation of the creative and critical nature of scientific thought. Climb higher at the Mount. Learn more at msj.edu. Welcome back to the Brood 10 Cicada Podcast from Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm WVXU reporter Corey Sharber. Cicadas are resilient creatures. They've survived multiple ice ages. In spite of this, our modern-day extraction of resources from their natural habitats could still be a threat to their future and other forms of life within their ecosystem. As always, I'm joined by Dean of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, as well as a professor in the Department of Biology at Mount St. Joseph University here in Cincinnati and PhD of Entomology, Dr. Gene Kritsky. Today, he'll guide us through these threats and their potential solutions. Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. This episode might might be a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Uh, last episode, we were talking about the breeding process, like, you know, how all the different cicadas find mates and whatnot. But this one uh, was a bit more deaf and despair involved. We're talking about uh, what dangers the uh, cicadas face every time they emerge. We might have mentioned this in passing, but I know that um, some of the, there are certain years where there are a lot of issues with the uh, emergencies like 1898 and in 1919 and in 1958. And of course, during your lifetime, you've, emer- you've, you've witnessed plenty of emergencies of brood 10 um, and, and other different broods as well. What makes the periodical cicada threat, a threatened species? Like do, what makes scientists think they're endangered going forward? Well, the strange thing was this first, was first brought up in the 1890s. And that, you, you look at the literature and you think, they're not even thinking about extinction or what was going on. Of course, we had following that, the, the extinction of the passenger pigeon, for example. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, that caused a lot of interest and so on. But uh, in 1898, uh, we had a major publication put out by the USDA, Department of Agriculture. And in there, they speculated that the cicada habitat, which is the eastern deciduous forest, was rapidly being clear-cut for agriculture. And as we clear-cut these trees so we could grow more field crops, for example, uh, what was going to happen to the cicadas? And uh, that was a a major discussion. And indeed, uh, uh, even by 1919, the headline from a press release put up by the USDA was that the locusts, this year, that was a brood 10 year, the locusts are slowly going to be extinct in time. And uh, again, reiterated the loss of, uh, of um, uh, habitat. Are there, is there any evidence that cicadas are, are really th- being threatened? I know, of course, that, you know, uh, we talked about this before, like the concerns of climate change affecting not just cicadas, but just our entire, really our entire ecosystem. And we're seeing how climate change is, has affected certain things over time on top of pollution. Um, you know, what, what evidence is there to show that cicadas are being threatened? Well, the modern evidence for it is coming from the research that we're doing on mapping in many cases. Uh, uh, Frank Young of Indiana University, uh, my undergraduate advisor and a big cicada worker, in 1958 uh, documented that some areas in central Indiana showed fewer cicadas than had been reported in previous emergencies. And in 1970, when he mapped out Brood 10, he noticed that the northern half of the state was quite limited in the number of uh, cicadas that he was able to encounter. Of course, his sampling at that time was a little 
uh, wasn't as thorough as we could do now. So when, when he and I joined forces in 87 and looked at the state of Indiana, we were able to fill in cicadas for many of those Northern counties, but nowhere near the large numbers of cicadas where you could drive through a county and hear them almost constantly. Uh, but instead we're finding these, these populations are widely dispersed and separated from others, uh, due to the, uh, the, the use of the land. Have any, you know, throughout, um, not just your observations, but through observations in the past by other researchers, have any broods ever gone extinct? And if so, how, how did that take place? Well, the one, one brood that has gone extinct in our lifetime was brood 11. And that uh, uh, went extinct in 1954. The last time we had living brood 11 cicadas was in 1937. And going back and, fi- and going, for- going to 54, looking for them, the- no longer could be found. Now, brood 11 was a major brood in 1699 and 1716. Uh, it uh, occurred just outside of uh, Boston. Massive numbers. Uh, that's described in, in detail by a man by the name of Paul Dudley. And uh, it was then continued to be reported in, in 1633, I think 1733 and so on, and through the years. But then dwindling as Boston continued to grow and that part of the region of the state grew, more land was needed for agriculture, wood was needed for construction, and slowly the entire uh, habitat for Brood 11 was destroyed. So... Uh, is it safe to say humanity does play a major role in the the threats that um, cicadas are facing? It's not just it's not just nature all the time. It's it's us as well. Well, in this case, uh, we're we're exchange, we're essentially modifying our environment. Uh, instead of having a, a deciduous forest out there, we're now having field crops. Some of the things we talk about in entomology is that we no longer have these these this wide forest across the state. We have pockets of forest surrounded by a sea of corn and soybeans. Right. And, and so, uh, uh, those, those little, little pockets, uh, are, are rather important because every time, anytime we cut through a, a woods, we're going to be subdividing up that forest. And through the years we've put in highways, interstates, uh, uh, high, uh, transmission power lines. But every time we cut through that, we're, we're, we're turning that, that once large wood where all the cicadas were living into smaller and smaller pockets. And what apparently is going to be happening is that uh, what the USDA was worried about was that these pockets would not produce the cicadas necessary to overwhelm the predators, to satiate the predators, mm. leaving millions to reproduce. In the case of brood uh, brood 11, uh, they, the, the, they emerged in 1937 and the predators ate them all. It's interesting how, you know, we we clear these forests to make our, our lives easier, but at the same time, we end up really impacting all the different ecosystems that surround us. And of course here, we're affecting the lives of cicadas so much so to, that we killed one brood off. Um, mm-hmm. And I was talking a little bit earlier about climate change and, um, you know, not that long ago when um, the emergence was getting ready to start um, around April and May, the weather was just incredibly odd. Um, now, of course, this is the first um, spring and summer I've ever experienced up here in the Queen City. Um, and when I came up here, I was just like, man, it's 30 degrees out here. And it's almost, it's like, and we're in the middle of spring. Is this how it's always going to be for like the rest of my life up here? And, and it, it was the first thing I thought was, wow, this is definitely going to affect the uh, brew 10 emergence this year. And if it really affects it, well, then we'll have to cancel this podcast. Um, it was such an unusual uh, emergence for them. Mm-hmm. What impact did the, all the cold weather early on in this have on them? Well, the cold weather certainly delayed things. 
Uh, we were expecting uh, uh, that they would be emerging somewhere around the 13th of uh, of uh, May, plus or minus 48 hours. So we had between the 11th and the 15th. And uh, uh, that's based on using April temperatures as a guide to predict what May was going to be like. Uh, our first uh, here in Cincinnati, we had pockets of cicadas come out in good numbers on the evening of the 15th. So uh, we basically declared victory with regard to the formula <laughs> and, and moved on. Uh, out where uh, where I live, they started coming out two days uh, later in good numbers. The day, the day before, saw like four. And then... 30 or 40. Then we saw 50 and 60. And then the, then the, we, the things started going, of course, it's always eerily quiet after that because they the cicadas that emerge go up into the trees while they continue the maturation process. They're not going to start singing right away. Uh, and then, uh, then they started singing and we started hearing a good, nice choruses, not intense because the, 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 the emergence hadn't completely played out again. And then we had cold temperatures again. And those cold temperatures essentially stopped the clock. And so uh, the number of, of emerging adults was slowed down considerably. And, uh, those, uh, that had mated and those that were infected with the fungus and things, they were dropping out of the trees. And, uh, I always worry about cicadas. So I was, oh, <laughs> what's going to happen now? Well, it's your job. I mean, but to yes. be fair. <laughs> somebody's got to worry about these things. Right. <laughs> I take it personal. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, that first day it was really cold. Didn't hear, you heard maybe a call here or there, nothing much. The sun came out and hit some tops of the tree. You'd hear one male calling. But this last weekend, we're in the upper seventies and the place is screaming with cicadas. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, we could tell it obviously didn't slow things down. What surprised me and uh, elated me was that last night I'm uh, looking out at the deck and what do I see? There's a cicada nymph crawling up out of the ground on the, on the deck. They're still here. They're still emerging. And indeed, uh, I received emails from people telling me that they were seeing large numbers now coming out in Oxford and, and, uh, areas north of Cincinnati in really big numbers now. So if the, if this temperature trend that we're expecting in the next few days continues, it's going to it, it promises more cicadas. It's great to know that just that, that weird instance of weather isn't just completely dismantling this entire emergence. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, this is mean, you know, you've, you've gone through plenty of these. This is the first one I've ever seen. So I would have been, it would have been a heck of a bummer if, uh, if all of it just went to crap right away. <laughs> well, I wasn't too worried because, uh, these things survive four ice ages. Right. And so, uh, they've, they've got more experience at this than we do. Yeah. They said, well, they definitely have more experience with cold weather than I do. I'm not, not a fan of that, but Going back to, going back to, um, you, you mentioned like, uh, how cicadas are jumping to the top of trees, like making all these calls. Um, what happens if a tree gets cut down in the, in the middle of an emergence? Like how does that impact all, all well, of the cicadas? Uh, when it, well, it depends on when the tree is shot is chopped down. That's critical. So if we're cutting down a tree right now in the middle of the beginning, probably not what happened. The much would happen unless we're going in and digging up the roots per se. The, uh, the nymphs will still be coming out. They'll just walk to another tree near, if there's one nearby, if they can. Uh, and, uh, I've, I've, I've seen this now in several, for the last several days, I've been out checking and things like white pines, for example, where you wouldn't expect a lot of cicadas having successfully laid their eggs or their mortality, if their eggs are laid in a white pine, 70%. Yet we still found several instances where there were lots of shells at the base of that tree, but there were also trees all around that were within 20 feet. So they just came up and went the wrong way in that sense. So not, <laughs> not necessarily, uh, they didn't stay under the tree in which they were probably, their eggs were probably laden. So, uh, but if, if a tree is chopped down, let's say, uh, after, uh, 
well, in 2024, three years after this, if we cut a tree down, which had a lot of overposition in the branches, and so that means there's probably thousands of cicadas feeding on those roots, that tree is cut down, those cicadas will die. Uh, they're not going to be, cicadas underground are not going to be moving several yards away to another tree. They'll keep feeding on there as long as there's a water column, but that water column will eventually cease. And, and I have seen this now in several uh, instances, a, uh, uh, a crab apple that uh, died uh, a, a couple, two, three years after brood 22 uh, had emerged and ovipositing the tree. I uh, went back after the uh, appropriate uh, 11 more years was necessary to see if anything survived and nothing had. Mm. The central island uh, in, in uh, Maramont across from the... Uh, um, the, um, the exemplar restaurant, for example, they went through there and removed a lot of those trees because after brood eight emerged. So I'm anxious to see what happens in 2025. Uh, that was about four or five years after that emergence. So there are places like that all over town that I've been monitoring and, and going back to actually see what's going to happen. And it's not just human beings and the weather that can impact a cicada emergence, but also other, other bugs as well. One of them is the, uh, Emerald ash borer. Um, how how did that impact cicadas? Well, we're seeing evidence now on, on, in two ways. One, all you have to do is drive down uh, uh, Interstate uh, seventy five, and you'll see all the little pockets of woodlands on each side of it, and all the dead ash trees in there. Uh, depending on when the tree, the ash tree died, is what's going to be important. Uh, if the ash tree started dying early, you know, several years ago, those cicadas under those ash trees will also die. The uh, other thing, which I've been noticing, uh, uh, the, the, my, my wife and I, Jesse, just uh, bought some new, a uh, new house a couple of years ago and several of the ash trees in our yard have been treated. And those ash trees that were treated did not have any cicadas come up mm -hmm. under those trees because the, the, they injected a systemic insecticide into the tree. Right. And it's not just going to wipe out one, it's going to wipe out every everything insect. that's feeding on it. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so in that instance, we've got two ways in which the emerald ash borer is impacted the way we wanted to save our ash trees, but also the fact that the ash trees and their demise, but that also creates opportunities. So, uh, with the demise of the ash trees, uh, we're going to find other trees, primarily maples look like they're going to be coming in as one of the, uh, uh, fillers, if you will, they'll actually start if they've been producing new trees that sort of filling in those gaps, they'll be ovipositive in this year. If not, it'll be 2038. And of course you've been, um, part of your research has involved the uh, Cicada Safari app. And of course you can get that app. If anyone listening out there, you can get that app, um, on the app store as well as Google play. Um, you know, when you're researching periodical cicadas, they're, um, crazy explosive years and, uh, the years where periodical cicadas are in decline. How does the app help with, um, your research? Well, the app we're hoping this year will help us, uh, get a really good foundation about where brood 10 is. And, uh, we need lots and lots of photographs to do that. And I'm tickled to tell you that, uh, we've received over 400,000 photographs already. Already? 400,000. We're pro, you know, we have a, and it's been going at the rate of between uh, 10 to 15,000 a day. Our record was 37,000 in one day. And so, uh, uh, that's created quite an interesting, uh, uh, situation because every one of those is looked at. And I'm, I'm tickled to say out of the 400,000, we have already verified over 300,000 of them. Wow. So we're, our team is working awfully hard to do that, but we're hoping to, that that will help us get a good handle on where brood 10 is provide a baseline with what we're seeing this year. And then in 2038, we can use that to see if there's any documented decline. 
And we talked, we've talked a lot during this episode about like, you know, the things that have just been destroying certain, you know, certain cicada emergencies. And of course, the weather's impact on them, our impact on them. What can we do to help protect periodical cicadas going forward? Well, we can, we can create ideal periodical cicada habitat. And that means plant trees. And not just plant trees in, in wooded areas. That's helpful too. But plant trees around your property. Because what that cicada female is looking for, she's looking for a tree that's going to survive 17 years. It's going to be a tree in full sunlight with her branches reaching to the sun and then surrounded by the low vegetation. Because when her eggs hatch, they feed on those grassroots first. And so by doing that, we can actually create this, the, the, these safe zones for periodical cicadas. Well, one of the main goals of this podcast was to learn to love the bug. And one of the ways to show your love for the bug is to plant a tree. So get out there and plant a tree, y'all. Don't let these things die out. Come on. We've got to do everything to keep them alive. Um, once again, Gene, thank you so much for educating me and the rest of the listeners. Um, and I can't wait to talk to you next time. Same here. Have a good one, everyone. All right, it's time for more listener questions here on the Brood 10 Cicada Podcast, which you can submit to us at BroodX, as in the Roman numeral 10, at WVXU.org. You can also use the Talk to Us feature on the WVXU app for all your questions. We received multiple questions about um, cicadas' impact on the lizard population. While this isn't a lizard podcast, it certainly involves our good friend the cicada, so I'll definitely... For this question to Gene, this comes from Mike. He says, hi, everyone. I lived in the Pleasant Ridge neighborhood of Cincinnati where we have an abundance of Lazarus lizards. The other day, I noticed one lizard had captured a cicada and was snacking on it. Do you think these lizards could have an effect on the cicada population since they are relatively new to the area and could eat them as they are emerging? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Well, the uh, reptiles love these things. And uh, I've seen photographs of, of snakes and uh, box turtles, for example, consuming periodical cicadas and uh, even the wall lizard. Uh, they, uh, uh, what the impact they'll have is, is probably the opposite, maybe the, what the, the questioner had in mind. This is going to be a food pulse for those lizards. And it's going to actually help increase the population for this year going forward. Whether that crashes or not next year is something to be seen, but uh, it's going to help them expand their range. And, and continue this this process. Well, as a warm-blooded mammal, you don't have to worry about me uh, having any appetite for the cicadas, so I'll let the lizards have more of them if they want. Of course, you can still go out and find edible cicada if you want, but I'll leave it up to you. If you want to submit questions to us, you can always shoot us an email at broodx at wvxu.org, and you can use the Talk to Us feature on the WVXU app. We'll have more questions for Gene to answer. Gene, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. Our thanks as always to our guest expert, Gene Kritsky. You can learn more and assist Gene's cicada mapping efforts by visiting cicadasafari.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. This podcast is produced by Josh Elstro with additional support and web assistance from Kevin Reynolds and Jim Nolan. For Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Corey Sharber, and you've been listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. We'll talk again next week. Thank you.